welcome to Women Leading the Way radio show, where each time you'll hear from successful women CEOs, executives, and professionals, where we'll discover how they do what they do to be successful in business. We'll be interviewing women who have overcome big challenges, women who have incredible stories of lessons learned in dealing with adversity. We'll even interview women who have started and grown successful organizations and women who are C-level executives with unique talents and positions. Our goal is to bring successful businesswomen together to share how they're leading the way in business today. Good afternoon and welcome to Women Lead Radio, brought to you by Connected Women of Influence. I'm Eva Venari, founder of the Elevate Institute, and I'm your host for this segment of Owning Your Health, where we explore alternative ways to be more consciously aware of truly owning what it takes to care for your body at work with today's health thought leaders. Our topic today is breaking down taboos in women's health. And our leading lady today is Rachel braun Schurl, managing partner and co-founder of Spark Solutions for Growth, which develops customized business processes and solutions. And as a respected entrepreneur and thought leader, Rachel helped create a new market category in which she continues to take the lead a self-described vagipreneur, she is market leader, market maker rather, in the multi-dollar, multi-billion-dollar global women's sexual health subsector. That's a tongue twister. Good afternoon, Rachel, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation because there's two questions I have. How do you go from? I read that you had earned an MBA. How do you go from MBA to sexual health? Where 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 do we tie? the two dots together here? The dots connected are the kinds of work that I do. So when I graduated to, from business school, I went to Johnson & Johnson and worked in a traditional product management role. And the reason I always start there is because the relationships I made there um, and the, the fall off of the relationships I made there have been critical to my career for the past, you know, two decades. So either... I, I did projects for people at J&J, and then they left, and they took me with them. But every year I can look at my client list and say, okay, there's, the, there's the, how it connects back to J&J. But in terms of the kind of work, I've always been focused on driving top-line growth. So when I'm working with large corporations, which I did for a long time, and I still do as it relates to sexual health, it's really about what do I need to know, communicate, understand about my buyer, about my customer, so that they will engage in a transaction. What will motivate them? What products do I need to offer? What geographies do I need to be in? What thought leaders do I need to be associated with? So it's always on driving top-line growth. The focus over the past 15 years has been that same business growth, but just much more concentrated and the space between menstruation and menopause. Okay. And we had always worked on women's businesses. So even before just focusing on sexual health and reproductive health, we had worked on businesses that affected women from the tops of their heads to the tips of their toes, not their hose. So think (laughs) hair care care to foot fungus and everything in between. Right. So it's it's really about marketing so that we are heard as, females in the marketplace with products. Product placement, is that the idea? I would say it's partially the idea. So the products that I work on and the companies that I work with tend to focus on the different stages and needs that women have 
and people identify women as they progress through life. So from, you know, puberty until they go through menopause and then after menopause. Part of the job is making sure the message and the marketing around the company is heard so people have options. So it really is about driving business and driving sales, although to your point, it's very hard to be in this space without also making a contribution to the overall conversation. You had started out by talking about taboo. I mean, if you look at what's happening in the news right now, you would think, you know, women's health is the hottest thing. It's a, an overnight sensation that's been centuries in the making. Um, so we are getting much better at the conversation, which is a requirement to drive business growth. And it seems to be something, at least from, from the conversations I'm having with colleagues, is it, it's a desire to bring in the feminine nature as well from, from, a, from a different aspect, but not just within uh, the company products that are being developed and then offered, but uh, within the company, they're looking to become less structured in a masculine way and bringing in more of the feminine aspect. That's a whole other conversation, but that's just what that's I'm That's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other conversation. And a <laughs> yes. lot of them are founded, but, you know, the majority clearly are founded by women. Uh, and what I would say is consistent across these startups, and I often work in the intersection with venture-backed companies and potential corporate strategic partners, which are the, basically the two places that I've spent my career working in and for large companies and running and working with small companies. Um, it really is about making sure people understand why they would choose the solution. And many times what happens in women's health, sexual and reproductive health, compared to other categories, is you're asking people to add something to their regimen. So there are many areas in women's sexual and reproductive health where you're not replacing, let's say, one shampoo with another or one skin cleanser with another, but you're fighting with, you know, inertia or inactivity because by virtue of creating these conversations, we're also letting people know that there are now opportunities for products and services for these life stages that they're in that didn't exist before. So it's really an education movement. Huge part of it. They, you yeah. can't separate the education and the business growth. And the other piece, is, in which you alluded to, is the vocabulary. You know, you need, you need words to have this conversation. Right. So when I started in this space and raised a bunch of venture capital for the, the company that I started with my co-founder, Mary, you know, you would go online and you would see porn at one end, and I'm not denigrating that, you know, among consenting adults and in appropriate settings, that's totally fine. I don't think it's a replacement for sex education. And on the other end, you had, you know, disease, like, oh, my God, my, you know, labia is falling off or whatever, and like gloom and doom and scary things. <laughs> oh, no. What, yes. what, what, yeah. So what, what many people in the space, myself included, have tried to do is create a language for everything that's in between. You know, so there is room for porn and there is room for disease, but there's also room for exploration around what do I need to know about incontinence? Why aren't I having an orgasm? What are the best sex toys? What do I use for vaginal dryness? So there's a whole bunch of conversations that are now happening as a result of this space, which I describe as one in which a rising tide raises all boats. There are more companies, there are more people, there are more creative sources of capital so there's more noise, and I wouldn't call it just noise for noise sake. There's more conversation 
around how important and how integrated and how complex the health of women and people who identify as women is. So one of the things that COVID has done from the positive perspective, if you can say that, is we, we saw a lot of stories at the beginning that women were doing better when they got COVID than men were. So it really started a whole conversation that many people in the space have been having a long time for a long time about the broader way or the more holistic or integrated way to look at women's health. So you can't talk about sexual health without talking about mental health or you shouldn't, you know, and how do you talk about cardiac health without connecting it to bone health? This idea that, you know, we're a collection of systems that interact, they interact when it comes to sexual satisfaction, they interact when it comes to menopause, they interact when it comes to menstruation. And so this broader conversation around the intersection, if you will, of physiological things, psychological, social, behavioral, emotional, contextual, cultural, you know, it's a very complex and exciting conversation. I love that. I love the overlap in the conversation because when it comes to health segments, no matter what industry within health you're looking at alternative, uh, new age, you know, and, and traditional, they're very segregated, very, very segregated. And when they don't talk to each other well, you're not making forward movement. So I wonder how, how much of what is vagin, vaginipur, vagipreneur, thank you, I'll get that out, and how is that being a vagipreneur, how is that traversing the ravine of segregation? So I always give credit where credit is due. So the person who came up with the name Vajrapreneur was a journalist by the name of Abby Allen who writes for the New York Times. And the first time we met her um, when she was writing a story about us many years ago, she says, oh, I get it. You're in business and you talk about vaginas. You're a Vajrapreneur. And every time I said <laughs> it in whatever setting that I was, it either got a giggle or people asked questions. It, right. it caught people's attention. And so I reached out to Abby and I said, this, this is an amazing name. Are you going to use it? You came up with it, if you're, but it's yours. But if you're not, I'd like to use it. So when I think <laughs> about a vagipreneur, it's really a person in the business of sexual and reproductive health. And that is a very, very broad range of categories. So it includes menstruation. It includes disease prevention, it includes fertility, it includes infertility, it includes birth control, it includes incontinence, it includes hot flashes, it includes vaginal dryness. And all of these things, you know, not all of them, every woman or every person who identifies um, as a woman will experience over the course of their lives, but the, the growing volume of these conversations and the awareness that our systems are connected in a very intrinsic, important way uh, has really been critical for the conversation. And the other part of the narrative that I'm hearing and been participating in more and more since COVID is looking at health or women's health, which is a very vague and general term, but for the, mm. for the purposes of the conversation. So there are things that affect women differentially, which is essentially everything. COVID, heart disease, you name it. There are lots of differences in terms of how men and women experience these symptoms, there are th or these conditions. There are things that affect women primarily. So you think breast cancer. You know, obviously there are men who get breast cancer, but the majority of people who get breast cancer um, are women. And then there's the category of things that affect women and people who identify as women only, meaning if you don't have the organs, 
for instance, you're not going to have that. So think ovarian cancer, cervical mm-hmm. cancer, uterine cancer. So the combination of this, looking at it more holistically and really understanding that you have to take different approaches depending on the kind of disease or condition it is, is really creating a lot of fascinating conversations and I think is driving progress because, again, as I said before, if you don't have a language, then you can't have a conversation. And if you can't have a conversation, you can't move things forward. I agree. And I remember the very first time the word period was allowed in a commercial on television, you know, the, you know, hands over the mouth with the exhaust of, of, oh, my God, uh, the surprise. It was new. And we had come a long way, baby. We have come a long, long way. We have come a long (laughs) way. Um, And I've spent a lot of time sort of watching that march forward, Um, you know, things that are starting to be allowed now. I mean, the most recent example is there was a commercial during the Golden Globes, a commercial that ran um, for a company that was about breastfeeding. And, you know, the enjoyment of it, the complexity of it, that never would have happened without this combination of voices and companies um, and investment. So I look at that and compare it to when we started our company. We were about to be selected to be in the gift bags at the Tonys, and we were so excited. And at the last minute, they said, you know what, we're not really comfortable with that. So I look at those just in that one particular area. If you look in the world of entertainment, you know, where we've come. There are other places, obviously, where we haven't made as much progress, and it's generally um, uh, a case of two steps forward, one step back. Hmm. Well, I think this is a very good place. I want to get back to this conversation, but I think for now we want to take a quick sponsor break and then return back to this conversation. Sounds good. Women Lead Radio is brought to you today by Connected Women of Influence and our partner, Microsoft. At Microsoft, our mission is to empower every person and organization on the planet to achieve more. Microsoft believes technology is a powerful force for good, and they are working to foster a sustainable future where everyone has access to the benefits and opportunities created by technology. We believe at Microsoft that technology can and should be a force for good and that meaningful innovation can and will contribute to a brighter world in both big and small ways. So thank you for your support, Microsoft, and to all of our sponsors and partners, including you, Ms. Eva Veneri, and with (laughs) Elevate. So uh, back to your show. Thanks, Michelle. A little personal touch. (laughs) It was. Yes, thank you. (laughs) I love Connected Women of Influence and being able to be a sponsor um, and to be a a podcast host. So back to our show here. Um, I'm I'm curious to know, Rachel. Yeah, thanks for being here. And and I want to say this is a really, really focused area to be in. I've never heard of it before. Tell me, when did you know? When did you know you wanted to do this? type of work? Well, I joke that no one wakes up and says, you know, they want to be a vagipreneur, <laughs> they want to talk about right. vaginas or orgasms all day. So for me, it really <laughs> came um, when we were presented with this opportunity with this product that improves arousal, desire, and satisfaction for women of all ages and life stages. And we were presented it by a venture capitalist. And you're, when you're in marketing, you're often looking for an emotionally engaging category. Um, and there's turns out, in my experience, I haven't found anything that's more emotionally engaging than people's intimate lives. 
So it was essentially a perfect storm of the fact that there was this product that was clinically proven. There really was no language, as we talked about earlier. It was one of the few categories that I've ever worked in where women weren't talking to their sisters, their friends, their partners. It seemed to just take up a different category. You know, you weren't necessarily, certainly, and this applies, I'm not speaking so much about people who are younger and in college and dating, but the focus or the target for our product was people in committed relationships who had noticed something had changed. So the combination of there weren't any good solutions, there wasn't a conversation. At that time, only 3 to 5% of obstetricians and gynecologists talked to their patients about satisfaction, desire, and arousal. It was just such an exciting business opportunity. That's what caught us originally. And as we built this company and really started talking about products for women by women, we just every day, it, we learned more. There's, there's fascinating people who are attracted to this space. And when we exited the company in 2013, you know, I, I couldn't imagine being in any other space. That's such an awesome feeling to know that you're working where you feel empowered <laughs> in the world, just a personal note there. That's cool. So you mentioned virtual uh, venture capitalists earlier, and I'm curious, are, are these mm-hmm. mostly uh, female? Are they women venture capitalists, or are you finding a mix? Well, in our case, they happen to be the two major investors were female partners at firms, but most of the pitches that we were doing were to rooms of middle-aged men, and I was at the time a middle-aged woman, and now I'm more middle-aged, but absolutely. (laughs) And you still hear, this has been, we have so many stories about what that experience is like. Oh, I want to hear it. (laughs) Well, it's, you know, the story that comes up the most often is we went to Silicon Valley and we were raising money as they considered us first-time founders because we hadn't raised money before, even though we had been running a successful consultancy for many years. We're women, so we all know the statistics about the percentage of investment decisions that are made by women and the percentage of investment dollars that go to women. So you go in with that and then add that we're talking about vaginas. You know, you're at, it's not like they're sitting there waiting for you with the welcome mat. Um, right. Long story short, and, and anybody who's in this space has had their version of this experience. So we go into the first two meetings and we're asked about, you know, how is it different than Viagra? And we give a detailed answer about how female sexual response is so much more complex and it's a, it's a more complicated system than the hydraulic pump which is the the male genital sexual response. (laughs) Right. And the objective when you're in a meeting like this is you want someone sufficiently interested that they want to have a follow-up meeting. So, you know, if they're not asking questions, if they're not engaged, um, that's a problem. So we Uh. thought that that silence was going to be the worst thing that could happen. It turns out whispering and having these guys make sexual jokes to each other while we're standing there um, really – was maybe a little bit worse. So first meeting, the giggling and the laughing and talking about their senior prom and some person they used to date and really like backslapping each other and really not talking about the business or how we were going to grow it or what our strategy was for a liquidity event. So we go into the next one and we, they ask us a question about the clinical study that we've done, which we again give the answer and 
you know, a great deal of detail about how it was designed, what the results were, so on and so forth. And the same thing happened, you know, with the whispering and the giggling and, and the lack of questions about what are you guys planning to do to grow this business? Who's your target customer? You know, when do you see your, your growth growing exponentially? It, we didn't get any of that. So we leave the second one. And we, you know, Mary and I say to each other, well, at this rate, we're not going to leave with a dollar. And I had visions of, you know, that big publisher's clearinghouse check that was life-size. That right. you know, when you when you <laughs> yes. left, you got one of those. So um, right. we said, you know, we got to figure something else out because we're not getting their attention. So I happened to look at my wallet, and I had a hundred-dollar bill. I don't know why I looked. I don't know why I had a hundred-dollar bill because I am a credit card person, so I could track everything. And Mary and I decided that it was either divine intervention or dumb luck. So we come up with a plan. You know, we literally put our heads, literally and figuratively put our heads together. And we say, let's give it a try. We have 11 more. Clearly the process that we're, the process that we're using to get their attention or the story or the dynamic is not getting their attention. So we're going to try something different. And if it doesn't work, we still have 10 more. We had 13 meetings in two days. Wow. So we go into the th- third room, and I have the $100 bill in my hand, and I smack it loudly on the table, and I said, if anyone asks us <laughs> a question about the category that we can't answer, this $100 is yours. If wow. anyone makes a sexual innuendo that we haven't heard before, this $100 is yours. If anyone shares a double entendre or makes some you know, reference that makes us blush, this $100 is yours. And then we paused for impact, and I said, she likes it more, she wants it more, let's talk about the business model. (laughs) And in that moment, you know, we really did change the energy in the room. We basically communicated, we're serious people to talk about a serious business where you have the opportunity to make serious money. You can be embarrassed, we're not going to be embarrassed, bring it on, ask us anything, we are up to the challenge. And, you know, the fact that you know, my experience was people giggling. There are other folks, one of the challenges you see for people raising venture capital in, in things related to women and, and sexual and reproductive health is the VCs seem to add another layer. So what do I mean by that? If, I, if I'm, a comp- I'm a cybersecurity company and my intended target is the defense department, I go in to pitch this to venture capitalists, they get it. They get that someone would want to buy this, even if they're not ultimately the customer. They're not buying cybersecurity equipment for the Defense Department, but they understand that that's a market, even though they're not in it. When it comes to women's sexual and reproductive health, if they haven't heard about it or they haven't had an experience with it, then it's considered a niche. So we would go in and and people would say to us, well, you know, my wife or whatever never complained about this. And we said, well, 43% of women have sexual concerns and difficulties at some point in their lives. And what I wanted to say that I didn't, but that I wrote in the book, you know, at that moment I wanted to say, (laughs) trust me when I tell you, someone you know, someone you've been with has mentioned it at some point. Um, Or compare that to when you go in and talk about fertility, if there's a person in the room who has had an experience with that, or their sister or their cousin or their friend has had an experience with that, if it's something that they can then relate to, then they're able to dig in. But think right. about the barrier that creates if you're primarily presenting to men who haven't had many of these experiences. 
So you're, I now have to convince you that this is real, even though, you know, a third of people never have an orgasm and 33% of women have incontinence symptoms and close to 50% of pregnancies every year in the U.S. are unwanted or mistimed, or as I said, 43% of women have sexual concerns and difficulties. I have to convince you that those are real because you don't believe them because you don't know about them. So it adds a whole other hurdle, you know, to jump over um, when you're trying to raise money. Or you hear stories from people who say, oh, I get it. Um, you have different sized tampons in your new approach to menstruation um, because people have different sized vaginas. And the entrepreneur said, well, actually, the different sizes are for different volumes of flow. Right. You know, even things that seem very basic to folks who have experienced that. And it's not necessarily anybody's fault. If you look certainly in the U.S. and around the globe, because sex and intimacy is so complex and, and people bring their own religious and cultural and ethnic biases, and we are now in a world where I would say that the sex education we get is paltry, if at all. You know, in the U.S., right. there's, there's a, a subset of states require sex ed, mandate sex ed, which is wonderful. However, a percentage of those are not even required for that mandated sexual education to be medically accurate. So put all those things together and then put female entrepreneurs in a room talking about something that most people in the room have never experienced. It's not, it's not a surprise that it's hard, but there are idiosyncrasies of raising money in this space that are unique to this space. I'm reeling over the last statement you just said about sex ed, and they are not required to be medically accurate within their curriculum. That's crazy. Some are. Some are, but it's interesting that you could have it mandated, and it's not even mandated everywhere. So you have a whole bunch of people who aren't getting it, and then you have people where it's mandated isn't that great, and then, again, some of those are not required to be medically accurate. Yeah, it's astounding, and when I say that, People are always astounded, and they and the statistics get a little better, um, but this still exists, that there's either none or it's not good, and in some cases it's acceptable, but there's almost nothing about, you know, they talk about the logistics and how the parts fit together, but, you know, how about the whole range of, of gender um, identity? That's never discussed. Mm-hmm. How about well, brand, be brand new social. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. that's never discussed. So there's clearly huge gaps in the curriculum if, in fact, people are actually getting any of the curriculum. So it, you put it, those it all to together social. and it's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you put those things together and it's not surprising that you go into a room with people who don't really have a language to talk about the condition that you're talking about that affects half of the world. You know, well, it sounds like you're leveling the opposite of niche. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, they, they, right. They need to be more um, in out there in the general public. And um, where we get our sex education, the real sex education, seems to be peer peer groups <laughs> in junior high school. <laughs> and it doesn't really. And you know how accurate that is. Now. Right. <laughs> and that's, 
you know, circling back to where you started, so a lot of these companies that are providing products and services across this wide range of needs, education is part and parcel of what they're doing. It's required. And they're, they all take it very seriously. Many of them have medical advisory boards, um, and they spend a lot of time making sure that the content that they're putting out there is accurate and accessible. So one of the things that's also happened, especially with younger entrepreneurs, is the language we're using isn't intimidating. You know, sometimes the, it, it, it's very off-putting even if you're trying to have the conversation. So there's, you know, one company in particular um, who one of their primary objectives was to make the conversation around sex more fun and easier and less daunting and less intimidating. Good idea. While, while, they're, you know, while they're offering education. And there's so much to learn. I mean, I've been in the space for, you know, close to 15 years. Every day I learn something about women's health or new approaches or ways you can intercept or interact um, with systems or signals. So it's not that it's static, but it's so exciting because of that. And the people as I mentioned before, who raise their hand and say they want to be in this space are just so creative and disciplined and focused and driven and problem solution focused. It's really, really remarkable. So that's what gives me the energy, you know, even in the days when on the days when you feel like you get punched in the face and hit a barrier that shouldn't be a barrier anymore in 2021. Right. And all of, all of those attributes that you just explained, I mean, we listeners, <laughs> our listeners absolutely fit into that category. And it's reminding me we're getting close to the end of our show, and I want to give you the opportunity. So just in case our listeners may want to reach out to you after this show, or if you have a resource to share with them, what would you like to share? So you can look up Badgerpreneur. You can look up Orgasmic Leadership, which is the name of my book. You can... So by my name, Rachel braun Spark Solutions for Growth. If you put it in Vagipreneur, I will come up. Um, and we also just launched, I launched with a, a medical obstetrician gynecologist. We're launching a podcast this month called The Business of the V, which is available anywhere you get a podcast. And it's really focused on the intersection of what women are saying and what people are, what the unmet needs and questions are um, in an office with a physician and the businesses being created that are being created to respond or provide solutions to some of those questions. I think that's going to be a really interesting podcast to listen in on. Thank you so much. We hope we're really excited. We have fascinating guests from, from industry and doctors who then became interested in the field and really focusing on a wide ranging set of, topics like menopause, like hot flashes, like more sustainable solutions for menstruation. So we cover a and wide that's, range. And, that's, and that's called again, say it one more time. Business the of, name the of the V. Business, Business of, of the, the v. v. The letter V as in vagina. Yes. Or it. vulva. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, I can't wait to listen, but we have unfortunately come to the end of our show, and I just want to say thank you so much, Rachel, for being a part of it. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and I think the work you're doing is great. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And as a special thanks to all of our listeners, both in the U.S. and internationally, because we are an international show. Um, I want to thank you for being here. We'll be back again for another Women Lead Radio show. We're on Mondays and Fridays, 9 a.m. Monday and Fridays, 2 p.m. Pacific time. It's been my sincere pleasure to be your host today. Thank you for listening and have a great weekend. This is Eva Venari, founder of the Elevate Institute reminding you to question everything. Women Leading the Way is produced by Connected Women of Influence, the premier private membership organization where like-focused, business-to-business, executive and professional women connect, collaborate, and cultivate a vast network of high-level affiliations, resources, and professional relationships. For more information about Connected Women of Influence, please visit our website at connectedwomenofinfluence.com.